running away from people now. 20, 10, and gone. Moniel, 67-yard touchdown run. I've got reporters <laughs> notebooks older than Seth. Fonte was always soft. Can't uh, win on the road, they say. <laughs> DeVito pop pass end zone. Touchdown and the ball game. DeVito in relief wins it for the Orange. This is Orange Nation brought to you by Charles Heating and Air Conditioning with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fontes. We welcome you into a Thursday edition of Orange Nation. You know the number by now, 315-437-7644. We've got a couple of guests lined up for you today. Coming up at 1230, Connor O'Neill. He covers Wake Forest for the News and Observer down in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's been on the show before. We'll uh, preview Syracuse Wake with Connor coming up at 1230. And then at 1.30, our good friend Steve Andrus from Radio.com Sports to preview week eight of the NFL fantasy football season. You know, I'll I'll get into SU football in a bit here, Seth, um, but I, I do want to start the show with something that I'm sure that you and Darius talked about at length yesterday, and that's the, the Justin Turner situation with the, the L.A. Dodgers, of course, gets the positive test during Game 6 of the World Series, removed in the seventh inning, and then back on the field to celebrate with his teammates afterwards. There's pictures and video of him you know, kissing his wife on the field, getting his picture taken with no mask on, uh, holding the trophy, so on and so forth. And, and since you guys left the air yesterday, Major League Baseball has announced, the commissioner's office has announced, uh, that a full investigation is underway into what exactly happened. And Major League Baseball would like you to believe that Security there tried to stop him on multiple occasions. Justin Turner refused to stay off the field, went on the field, celebrated with his teammates, so on and so forth. Plenty of blame to go around, and, and it's a shame that we're talking about this, right? I mean, that that's the big story to come out of the World Series. It's it's not that the Dodgers won for the first time since 88. It's not that Clayton Kershaw gets its ring. You know, we're, we're talking about this. We're talking about COVID. We're talking about Justin Turner and, and his actions. Plenty of blame to go around, okay? And we could get to Major League Baseball as part of this. But I, I did want to get your thoughts on what Major League Baseball should do. Let's, let's say hypothetically that it played out exactly the way that they said it played out. That Turner was, you know, they tried to stop him. Security tried to stop him on multiple occasions. He refused. He pushed past security, went on the field, said, no, you know, you can't stop me. This is what I'm doing. How does Major League Baseball deal with him? Is it a fine? Is it a suspension going into next year when he, he might not even be on the Dodgers next year? Um, you know, does it matter if anybody else on his team gets sick? Like, does that play into it? If there's an outbreak among Dodger players, if everybody's fine, does he get less of a, a penalty? I mean, how, how does Major League Baseball deal with this entire fiasco? Well, think, I think first they have to realize that they royally screwed up. Um, I mean, just completely and totally screwed up by letting Justin Turner play in any way, shape, or form when he had an inconclusive test, and then by not getting him out of the game as soon as possible once that test, you know, once the second test came back positive. But he shouldn't have been allowed to play uh, with an inconclusive test. And I think that you can make an argument that, like, they shouldn't have been playing if somebody tested positive because they've all been in such close contact together. But hey, guys, once... can I stop you there for a second because Go we've ahead. been hearing we've been hearing conflicting reports about 
when they found out about that inconclusive test because the the initial report was they found out after the game had started. Well, then he has to get pulled. But that's the thing. He has to get pulled as soon as you find out about that, not once you find out he has a positive, in my opinion. Because an inconclusive test in so many cases has been treated, you know, in every case has been treated as a positive. It's been treated as, well, we don't know, you might have it. And so I think that you had to be more careful with him than you were. I don't think that they took the right precautions. I don't think that they were uh, smart enough about it. And it goes to show basically what MLB's been doing over the last three to four months as they've tried to play out a season. The They they came back to play, and they didn't really have a protocol, right? Like, they were going to test people every day, but they never really had a protocol of, like, what happens if somebody tests positive? And then the Marlins test positive. And it's not Major League Baseball deciding if, if the game should be canceled. It's not, you know, the home team deciding if the game should be canceled. It's not management deciding if the game should be canceled. It's a group text among the players. And they say, yeah, you know what, we want to play. Like, that's not the right people to be making that decision. They left it in the hands of the players when they shouldn't have. They adjust their protocol after. They wing it. They play it all by year. They mix and match the schedule. Fine. Great. It works. And then they know for next time. And the Cardinals come in, and they test positive. Okay, Cardinals, you're out. You're banged for two weeks. Sorry. And they just kind of did it as they went rather than actually setting a protocol. So in this scenario, they had no actual protocol for what happens when a guy comes back um, inconclusive during a game or positive during a game, and they had to rush, and it happened to happen in the World Series, and they got incredibly lucky that the Dodgers won. Yeah, right. They got incredibly lucky yeah, what that would they you won. Have done? What, what would they have done with a Game 7? They couldn't have played it last night. Right. It would have had to at least been delayed a day for more testing, at right. least a day, and it's and it's not going to be delayed a day because Fox has something tonight on yeah, TV. Yeah, that's true. You know, and then and then you get to tomorrow night. And you know what? Fox has some college football tomorrow night on TV. You know, so all of a sudden you you have some issues. Yes, you want to make sure that you delay for testing, but Fox also has these other commitments. You know, they're not going to air a game on Saturday night when they're a big college football network. They don't want to air a deciding game of the World Series going up against Sunday night football or Monday night football or the election next Tuesday, right. and all of a sudden you're a week later. <laughs> right. You know, like it's it's not hard to Everybody's imagine. Everybody's on full rest. Right, it's not hard to imagine a scenario where they don't play for a week and it's not because of the testing it's because fox is like well we're gonna fit you in when we fit you in so i'll go back to what should they have done so let's say that they they really did find out inconclusive test in the second inning of game six and then you know they obviously rushed through the results of the the tuesday test which came back positive and the team was informed during the seventh inning and then turner was was removed what should they have done at that point? Sent him back to the hotel, I yes. assume? Right. That, that's what I would have that's done. That's what yes. I would have done as well. <laughs> you go back, you isolate, you you stay, you know, at your hotel. So I, I agree that Major League Baseball screwed up here. Um I also agree that listen, Justin Turner acted incredibly irresponsibly by going back on the field and it's one thing to want to be on the field with his teammates while they're celebrating. It's another thing to be hugging people and pulling the mask down and holding the trophy and all things that are frowned upon in this this COVID world. Um, so again, I go back to what should be done. Does it does it matter if other guys on the team get sick? Does that add to the discipline? Is it a is it a fine? Is it a suspension? How long should the suspension be? Because again, this is something that I would think you want to kind of put your foot down about and make an example of. Because if we're all being honest, 
COVID's still going to be a thing in some capacity when next season starts up. So how long should he get suspended for? I think you suspend him a week. Okay. I think you suspend him the first week of the season because, like you said, and it was my one of my first reactions too, is uh, COVID's still going to be an issue at the beginning of next year. It's not magically going away. Um, I don't think that you'll have fans in the vast majority of stadiums around the country, and you've got to make sure um, you've got to make sure that people understand that this is still an issue, and you've got to set an example of him so that other players don't try and go out and break protocol. You know, yeah, there was the Marlins outbreak, there was the the Cardinals outbreak, uh, but for the most part, it wasn't because people were breaking protocol. Like it seemed to just kind of happen in the general flow of life. There weren't people who were going out to clubs or being, you know, irresponsible. They just so happened to come into in contact with people who had the virus living their everyday life because they weren't bubbled up in the way that hockey and basketball players were. But they were bubbled up for the World Series. so I Not guess they, really. Well, more bubbled up than they were during the regular season. And they're not traveling. And it, it does lead you to wonder how he contracted the virus. And does that play into the discipline? Like, if they go through a full investigation and he broke pro- protocol and he was out at some local establishment, you know, after game four... Uh, or whatever the case may be, and and he picked it up there. Does it matter how he contracted it? No, I don't think so. So it doesn't matter if he – because I, I actually think that it does, in my opinion, because if he's following all – if they do an no, investigation because- and they, they see, okay, he's following all the protocols and this just happened, that's one thing. If he was irresponsible, though, and he went out on his own and he broke the protocol, then I, I do think you need to ding him for a little bit longer than you would okay. have if he broke the rules. Okay, so that I understand because I was going to say you're not suspending him for getting the virus. Like that's not no. what you're suspending right. him for. You are suspending for, him for for being reckless once yes. he knew he had but the virus. But was he reckless beforehand? Is is that's what I'm I asking. Guess, I guess that's fair. I think that Major League Baseball will figure out pretty quickly whether he was or not because they know what these guys were doing for all hours right. of this thing, right? Like, they they were the bus. They were the transportation from the stadium to the hotel and from the hotel to the stadium. It's not hard to figure out if they left. Right. And there that's, are only that's my so point. many places you could go. So I would, I would venture to guess that that's not, you know, and, and I don't know, but I'd venture to guess that he probably didn't break protocol and it was just a loose bubble. Like they say it was a bubble. It was just a neutral site. There were other people in the hotel. There were fans in the building. Like it was not a a bubble. It was not a clean atmosphere. Right. And and so, if again, that can happen. I and mean, if that happened, okay. If he did something on his own, though, and, and broke the rules, broke the protocol, I do think that they've got to hit him for with, with more than just – you know, a week suspension because I think they do need to make an example of this particular situation so that something like this does not happen again. Um, you're right. Plenty of blame to go around. Major League Baseball deserves part of the blame, but what Justin Turner did was certainly reckless after the game. And if he was reckless prior to the game as well, then I, I think that needs to be dealt with. And as we said, he might not even be a member of the Dodgers, right? I mean, that might be his. His last game in a Dodger uniform, and I right. get that he wanted to be on the field. His teammates seem to support him, but if there's an outbreak among that team now, um, obviously it gets it gets traced back to him, and it's a it's a really bad look for him, for the Dodgers, for Major League Baseball, and it, I think it needs to be dealt with. So I guess where I'm going with this is I don't know as if you could say at this moment he should be suspended this amount of games. I think we got to wait to see what the investigation shows and what the contract contact tracing shows. 
And if he acted irresponsibly beforehand and after, you know, I, I think that he, he's got to be hit with a, a greater fine, suspension, whatever the case may be, because um, you, you just you can't have that happening. You know, you can't have that moving forward because COVID's not going away at the start of the 2021 season. No, it's not. And you, that's why I say you have to make an example of him. Yes, like you, I agree with that. If if he had just tested positive and Major League Baseball screwed up and, you know, didn't throw the blame onto Justin Turner for, for running on the field, like if they had just screwed this up, then Justin Turner got tested positive, and it's not a big deal. Uh, but co- combine the positive test with him going back on the field, and I think you have to make an, adjust- make an example of somebody who did not follow the rules. All right, 315-437-7644. We're going to take a break here. When we return, we'll, we'll jump into SU football. We've got Connor O'Neill from the News and Observer down in North Carolina set to join us at 1230 as we begin to preview and look ahead to Syracuse Wake Forest this Saturday inside the Dome. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. All right, Stephen, Seth, back with you on a Thursday edition of Orange Nation. Hour number one of the show brought to you by Billy Whitaker's October 200 sale going on now. 315-437-7644. I was looking at the the depth chart last night, Uh, Seth. Dino Baber's releasing his depth chart for the Wake Forest game. Uh, You might have to take this with a grain of salt because we know how injuries work. Um, but I did think it was a good sign that Trill Williams was listed as a starter at safety after missing the Clemson game with injury. Sean Tucker listed as the starting running back after leaving the Clemson game early with what appeared to be an ankle injury. Taj Harris listed as the starter at wide receiver after the disciplinary action uh, taken against him and, and left home for the Clemson game. So, again, doesn't guarantee that they're going to play. Doesn't mean that they're 100% back in the lineup. I do think it's a good sign, though. And they didn't, you know, they weren't listed with the or distinction. Um, you know, they were listed as as the starter. So I, I do think it's at least a good sign that maybe Syracuse is is getting a little healthier with Trill coming back. You hope Sean Tucker's there. He, he really has been one of the bright spots. Um, maybe the, the biggest surprise to date of the uh, the 2020 season, his emergence. Um, I think you would have to say that given the fact that, you know, he started the year, what, the sixth string running back? And, you know, if not for Wasn't injuries. Six? And I don't know. I mean, you go down the list, Jarvion Howard, Abdul Adams, La opt out, uh, Jawar Jordan. I, I think you might be able paid. to put Chris Elmore ahead of him. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, you're you're down around six or seven. Um you know when it Marquesi comes to Pierre, right? Pierre. Although so Pierre bad. did play against Clemson, so he's kind of jumped ahead. Yeah, of him. but he's behind. Right. Tucker. Pierre got hurt. Right. Well, now he is. I'm saying you're right. When the season started, though, Marquesi Pierre, Jamar Jordan, they both got nicked up. Jordan's still out. Pierre's back, but Sean Tucker is, you know, jumped ahead of him. So, yeah, I mean, essentially, he was like the sixth string running back, and now he's established himself as the starter. And the way that he ran the ball last week against Clemson. You know, before leaving with injury, had the touchdown, had over 60 yards rushing. The way that he he finds holes, even when it looks like nobody, you know, there's no hole there, he finds a way to pick up yards. I've been extremely impressed with with uh, how he's played to date, and uh, and hopefully we'll see him on Saturday against Wake. 
Yeah, I think that you've got to hope that you do if you're Syracuse or a Syracuse fan. You know, he's he's been such a pleasant surprise. He's been such a good piece for the offense. Um, you say the biggest surprise. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a no-doubter. Darren Williams be, has been great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think those two are the two bright spots to, to come out of this season. You know, they've both been so good right away. And, you know, I... I don't know what's going to happen, but potentially you have them for four more years because neither of them lose a year of eligibility this year. So you could have these two in your in your lineup for a while. The question about Tucker more so is, is can he stay healthy? Because he's gotten dinged up a couple of times and had to leave games. He was playing so well on Saturday that you hope he can play this weekend because, um, you know, I know the line is up, what, to, to like 12 points now? Uh but, you know, if you can get Sean Tucker in, like, we, we've talked about this. Wake Forest is one of the more winnable games remaining on your schedule. You know, it's it's not, you know, winnable necessarily. It's not the easiest win. Um, but it seems to be wi- more winnable than Clemson, than Notre Dame, um, you know, than, than a top 25 team at the beginning of the year. And if you have Sean Tucker, you've got a better chance of being in a game, being competitive and getting a win than you do if he's not. Is it the most winnable game left, potentially? It might be. I think it might be. I mean, th- listen, they've got a stretch of four here that are all winnable in some capacity. Um, I think some of it depends, too, on on health, as we're discussing. You know, if Sean Tucker's back, it makes the Wake Forest game more winnable than if he's not there. Or Trill Williams, for that matter. Taj Harris, is he going to play? You know, if those guys are out there, Wake Forest becomes more winnable. But this stretch of Wake and BC, you know, at Louisville... Uh, Louisville's looked better, I think, than any of us expected, but that that's still a winnable game. And and NC State before you close out the year at Notre Dame, um, you know, all four of these are are winnable. Um, but this this one might be the most winnable of the of the four. Um, what do you think is realistic if this team? Yeah, we know they're not going to be quote unquote healthy. Um, but if they're healthier than what they were against Liberty, against Clemson, what is realistic over this four-game stretch? Can they can they go two and two? Is that realistic? I don't think so. Um, no, I don't. I don't think they can. I, I think that um, you're hoping for one and four. I, I look. I just don't think that this team in their current state is is that good. You know, you're you're missing Tommy DeVito, you're banged up on the offensive line with guys that aren't going to be coming back. Um you don't have Andre Cisco, you don't have Eric Coley, you don't have um you know go down the list. I just I don't think that they're in position to put much of anything together. I I'd, I'd be yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if they went 2 and 2 in this four-game stretch, even if they were healthy. I don't think the quarterback play is good enough to win games right now. Um, I think that you're at some point here, you're going to be going to a true freshman. It might be that Louisville game. It might be this week. I don't know. Um, but I, I think that you're not looking at anything better than one and three. Yeah, think about that. Think about that. You just said it's a stretch for them to finish three and eight. Um, and, and you're not wrong. It's just, it's it's remarkable. It might be a stretch to finish two and nine. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's remarkable what, what we've seen, uh, you know, happen this season from from where expectations were and and to where they are now. 315-437-7644. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to Pat in Syracuse. He's kicking us off on the show today. Hey, Pat. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. How about yourself? I'm good. You know, something I would like to bring up, I hope that O-line gets better because and healthy again because they need to get the reps in, but, you know, at least at the end of the year to be able to get better for spring. Then you have the spring reps so they can get better. So getting them back on that field is critical to get them live game reps in to, so that you got a uh, Sean Tucker who can 
get used to running behind an actual starting line, and then you hope that you can add some depth to that in, in um, with JUCOs and uh, transfers. And the other thing I was wanted to bring up was I feel like this is the game where you, you get out uh, Jacoby and Morgan or Dylan Markowitz because it, it, it's Wake Forest. It's not like it's Clemson. It's not like it's Florida State or, you know, who has athletes. It's Wake Forest. You know, I would think that we're in the same tier as Wake Forest or even supposedly better, but we're not this year. But I would say we're, I would like to say we're on the same level as Wake Forest. And I think this should be the game where we see one of those, one or, or both of those guys. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. That's a great call, Pat. And, you know, we've been discussing this for a few weeks now, even before Tommy DeVito got injured. We said, you know, once they get on the other side of Clemson, I think, you know, all bets are off. You start looking ahead to next year. You start looking at what you have in that quarterback room. You use, you know, the, the previous couple of weeks to get them reps in practice and get them ready to play. And, and I'm with you, Pat. Um, it, it feels like Wake is very much on the same level as you from a talent perspective, and, and I know this season is going better for Wake, and some of that has to do with injuries. But this is a home game against a team that they don't have the same athletes that Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida State has to his point. Um, I do think this is a great opportunity to work those guys in. And again, maybe it's you give Rex the start, you see how things are going, and you know you you bring in Jacoby and Morgan in the second half. You know if they're down by a couple of scores and just kind of see what he can do. You know see what he can do. Whereas if if it is a close game, if it's a tie game, maybe Rex goes the entire way. But I I think that you know and we don't expect that, right? I mean the line is essentially two touchdowns, right? So I, I think this is a case where it would be a perfect opportunity to work Jacoby and Morgan or of Dylan Markowitz for that matter into the mix. Of course it would be. You're you're doing you you can't do that against Clemson because the athletes are overwhelming even on their second second, third, and fourth string. You can do it against Wake Forest, where the athletes aren't overwhelming. They are a better team than you, but the athletes are not overwhelmingly better than yours. And you can't do it too early in the season because you need to get them ready and set them up for exactly. success. I do think now is the right time, to, to Pat's point. Uh, let's get another uh, phone call in here in this segment. Scooter and Jamesville up next on the show. Hey, Scooter. Hey, guys. You know, we, we, I mentioned at the beginning of the year this you know, this new 3-3-5 you know, three, three, thing and it, what type of defense it's actually supposed to stop. And I said, you know, back then, let's see how they, how well it stops the run, and especially with mobile quarterbacks. It's like the Tampa 2 defense has never allowed, you know, never never stopped a, a mobile quarterback. It, it, it set, it's up for a pro-style offense where the quarterback stays in the pocket and doesn't run around, and it's not part of the, the rushing game. And if you look at, we did well against Clemson because Lawrence, even though he can run, was a pocket guy. We did well against Pittsburgh because the quarterback isn't part of the running game. But the other teams like Liberty and you know, teams that basically could run the ball have basically run the ball down our throats. And I'm kind of wondering, is, is sooner or later, are we going to look at the type of defense, not the personnel, but the type of defense and the type of teams that it's supposed to try to stop? And uh, uh be interesting to see, you know, with Boston College and teams that basically can run run the ball down your throat, this is the type of defense that's going to work all the time. Like I said, I, I don't remember this defense alignment actually slowing down Boise State. I didn't realize it was a three three five when they played San Diego State and teams like that. And in and, and the whack, I don't remember if it slowed down, you know, high-powered offenses anyway. But I think this is a type of uh, defense that wants to, wants to stop passing attacks that, you know, basically are going to throw deep or intermediate patterns. Now, this week against Wake Forest, 
the quarterback is usually part of the running game, and you know it's, it's just like a running back. He can throw, but but he's meant to, he's meant to hold on to the ball. So I'm just kind of interested to see with the, with the, with a talent uh, not as great as uh, other teams, maybe if the style hurts the defense more than the, the actually the talent the other teams have. Yeah, and it's it's a good question, Scooter, and the jury's still out on that, and I think the jury's still going to be out on that maybe even at the end of the season. Um, new coordinator in. I know people hate to hear it, but it's a young group of linebackers, and I think that the inexperience shows most in the run game. I mean, you look at the depth chart. Of the six linebackers on the depth chart, they're all freshmen and sophomores um, with a new style of system in there. So, you know, is it the system? Is it the personnel? Is it the opponents? Um, it's a is great it the question. personnel not grasping the system? Right. It's a, it's a great question that Scooter raises. I just don't know as if we're going to have an answer in 2020. Might, it might not come until 2021. And I know people don't want to hear that, but that's the honest answer, I think, right? Yeah, I don't think we're going to have an answer this year. I think, But I think that happens most of the time when you change coordinators. You don't know what you are. Especially this year, year though, one. given the youth and the injuries and... You know, and and COVID, and and I know people hate to hear that, but I, those are those are all factors with with why this team's getting beaten up on the ground. Um, I, I think it, it remains to be seen whether it's the system, the personnel, the opponent, you know, etc. We do have to take a timeout. We've got Connor O'Neill from the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina, set to join us on the other side as we continue to preview Syracuse and Wake Forest. That's next on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. We want to let you know that Burdick Nissan has been selected as the exclusive Central New York location to show off the Heisman Trophy, and it's in town this weekend. Visit the Burdick Nissan showroom Friday and Saturday from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. to see the trophy, take a photo, and strike your best Heisman pose. You've seen the trophy on TV, but now all of Central New York has the chance to put eyes on the Heisman Trophy in person Friday and Saturday in the Burdick Nissan showroom from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's a cool opportunity. Yeah, strike a pose. I find it amusing that, not amusing, but it it shows you that this is a a basketball town. The fact that, you know, there's a game coming up in two days, we're talking Syracuse football, and then, you know, inevitably the conversation on Twitch shifts to basketball. We start talking basketball on the show. You know, now for the second straight segment, we're talking about basketball when, you know, the season doesn't start for another month, but that is the nature of, uh, of, of where we are and what we're doing here in Central New York. Yeah, I, I love talking basketball anytime, but it works. It it does. So, um, are we not doing today's bit? Did you want me to hit the? Well, fine. Okay. Go, I, ahead, go we, ahead. We do don't today's have to. Business. We can. We can. I, I thought we were saving it for the end of the show. Oh, but we can do that. Go for it. Hit today's okay. business. Our take on the day's top stories. We talk about it's today's business, business on Orange Nation. There's a miscommunication. We need a we need a timeout. We just came. We just came. This, this is the equivalent of something after the quarter, right? Yes. This is this is coming out of the quarter and then calling and, a timeout and then calling a timeout yes. and yes. then yes, that that's the equivalent of that. We talk about these things sometimes, every yeah. once in a while. Miscommunication. All right, what do you have? Uh, let's start with the New York Giants here, Steve. Uh, offensive guard Willa Hernandez will be placed on the COVID nineteen reserve list. Eight players, two coaches placed into isolation. They currently have four offensive linemen at practice. Yeah, that is a major concern. Um, This thing's not going away. So, you know, you you talked earlier in the show about Major League Baseball just kind of had a we'll figure it out approach. 
And I think to some degree, the, you know, the NFL has had the same approach. You can't have a true bubble with Major League Baseball. You can't have a true bubble with the NFL. And so as a result, these things are going to pop up and you're just going to have to figure it out. And, you know, some games have been postponed. Some have been pushed to other dates. I know that they have that week 18 sitting there if they need it. You know, the NFL doesn't want to need it, doesn't want to use it, but it's there if they need it. Um, And I I feel like the NFL is very much operating the, the way Major League Baseball did early on, which is case by case basis. We'll figure it out as we go. Yeah, and the NFL is trying to kind of uh, isolate a couple of people, uh, you know, at a time. You saw last week the the Raiders had an issue on their offensive line, and they were like, "Well, maybe only the people who are close to them they can." Well, the Bills did that with uh, their tight end room. Dawson Knox tested positive. All the other tight ends, with the exception of Tyler Croft, because he was with his wife who was delivering a baby, all the other tight ends had to be quarantined, and they were not allowed to play. So, yeah, we're seeing that, that it, you know anybody who's in close contact with somebody who tests positive, that's the way it should be, too. I mean, you know, right. if, if you go through the proper contact tracing and you were you know, in close proximity with somebody who tested positive for more than 15 minutes, you should be out. And, and I, that's, that's the smart thing so that you don't have this virus you know, run through the team. Yeah, no, I think that you've you've got to be smart about it, and if it takes you know isolating eight offensive linemen to 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 do this, that's what it takes. Um, I do wonder how the Giants play a game in three days. Uh, you yeah. know, at, at least they are already the Monday Night Football game, but I I don't know how they play a game in three days if um you know if they have four offensive linemen. Well, I was surprised that the Bills and Titans played their game. I mean, there was a positive test that Saturday, and then three days later they. Went ahead and played the game, even though the Titans had you know double digit guys who had tested positive over the course of a week, week and a half. Um, they went ahead and played. So you know, obviously the NFL wants to get these games in. They don't want to have to keep rescheduling and shuffling schedules, and they certainly don't want to use that week eighteen if they can help it. And and so if they can find a way to play, they're going to play. Yeah, and it's uh, even more difficult, I would imagine, for a Monday night game. You can't you can't just swap that out the way that they did the Bucks uh, right. Bucks Raiders on, on Sunday, Sunday night, night last right. week. Uh, moving on, news yesterday, Steve, the AHL season pushed back to at least February 5th. Yeah, you know, so we obviously led with this yesterday on uh, on News Channel. Now we talked about it at 6, talked about it at 11. We, we spoke with Howard Dolgan. Listen, I, I think it's, it's great that they've got a plan in place and that they've set a target date and that the league is going to work toward putting a schedule together. And so should this thing be in better position come February, they'll be ready to go, but... If we're being honest, like what are the chances they're going to be playing minor league hockey in February? I don't like, feel I, good about it. I get NHL, but at the minor league level, we saw it with baseball, and and hockey is is much the same way in that from a financial perspective, it doesn't make a ton of sense to be playing games without fans. So do we really think there's going to be minor league hockey games indoors in February? I would highly doubt it. No, and if you don't have fans, there's no way to make money off of it. Like, you immediately lose money um, and a good amount of money. You know, if you're the Syracuse Crunch, you don't pay players and coaches. The Lightning are covering the expenses of the players and the coaches, but you're paying, you know, everybody else who's working in the arena, your staff, the arena lease. You're paying a lot. You've got a lot of expenses if you're the Syracuse Crunch that don't involve players and coaches and training staffs and, and things of that nature. So, 
you also need to make that determination. It was interesting to hear Howard Dolgan say yesterday that even if there is a season, there might be teams that opt out of playing. And right. I, I thought that was really interesting. And he said, you know, going back to our conversation with Howard Dolgan yesterday, he said that fans are no fans. He's optimistic that there's going to be a season. Um, and he said that the Crunch is in a better financial position than most other teams, and so it could work for them. And the parent club may want the AHL teams to play, right? I mean, because of course. It, it, guys who you know aren't getting a lot of ice time at the NHL level, they want them to obviously continue to work no, and be ready. There's a benefit to have. There's it. a benefit, so you know they may find a way, and it might just be Syracuse, Rochester, Utica. You know, those teams just kind of play each other in a round robin. Um, you know, so it might be geographical where you're not you're not traveling. Um, you know, the the teams in Canada just play the teams in Canada. That you know, and and you have like these these pods for lack of a better term. We saw it with with Major League Baseball, right? They right. did it geographically opposed to you know traditional divisions and, and you whatnot. Can have, you can have Rochester, Syracuse, Utica, Binghamton, Binghamton, right? As... And you can have four right there and just kind of play each other over and over again. Um, that might work, but. I'm I am highly skeptical that we're going to see minor league hockey in February. Um, so that was kind of my reaction to it. Is okay? It's great to throw a date out there and say I'm we're going to try. I mean, the Boston Marathon just went ahead and and moved back the you know spring of 2021 and said you know what we're not running a marathon in April. Uh, not going to happen. And so you know that's fine that they want to put a date on paper and work towards that date, um, but. As we've seen with this virus, you know the virus is controlling the situation, not the other way around. And so, if it doesn't go away, or it doesn't subside, or if things truly do get worse over the winter, I don't see how we're seeing minor league hockey at that point. It's nope. only three months away. Yeah, it's it's a it's a ways away, but it's not that far. No, it's not that far. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that far away. Uh, how about this one, Steve? Did you see Nebraska? What they were trying to pull this morning? They were trying to schedule a new game to re- replace Wisconsin this weekend. On their schedule, uh, Nebraska was among those leading the charge in the Big Ten to get the Big Ten football season back. So, of course, they're the first team that has to uh, lose a game due to an opponent having COVID. The fans are not happy. They wanted to schedule a new game. The school's not happy because the Big Ten said, hey, we were pretty clear about this. No non-conference games. So that's what I was going to ask. I did not see this. So that, that's what I was going to ask you. They were asking to play a non-conference opponent? They scheduled the game. Who was the who did they, they schedule the game against the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, an FCS team that played a, a couple of weeks ago. They've only played one game because their their conference moved uh, their conference moved all their games to uh, to the fall to to the spring, I should say. The Southern Conference postponed their season. Chattanooga played last week against Western Kentucky, and their next scheduled game is in February. And you know Nebraska called them up and was like, "Hey, you played last week. You want to play again?" And they said, sure. They tested their players on Wednesday. They tested their players uh, again today. And uh, they were going to be tested uh, on Friday when they got to Nebraska. And then again on Saturday right before the game. So they were following the Big Ten protocol. But the Big Ten was like, look, we we said you can't do this. So why'd you go ahead and try and do this? Interesting. Um, And and again, the terminology is such that The Wisconsin-Nebraska game has been ruled a no contest, uh, which means it will not be counted as a forfeit, so it will not go into the win column for Nebraska, won't go into the loss column for Wisconsin. They're just not going to make – I don't know why they can't just say that they're canceling the game. That's essentially what they're doing. Um, Well, because it's not a forfeit. Right, but I'm just saying, just say the game is canceled. Um, But uh, for whatever, I mean, they're they're putting this term on it. Um, I I don't know. I mean, is it – 
What, what does Nebraska get out of playing that game? If they played, uh, they get football, Steve. I mean, is that that's that's the only reason, right? I mean, yes. it's not like that game is going to affect their chances of playing in a bowl game or just going to be a, a chance to get out there and play. Yes. They give football to the great people of Nebraska, Steve. That's what <laughs> that's what the University of is there for. I guess. I don't know. Big Ten did the right thing by shooting that, that down. Yes. Right? Well, they said you couldn't do it. Right. Everybody agreed to it. Um, Nebraska's been triggered about this whole thing from the beginning. They've been, and they're not good. Like I don't know right. why they were so like we need to play. Like you stay. <laughs> right. You've been irrelevant for twenty years. Like why do you feel the need to go play so bad? What else is there to do in Nebraska? I guess so. Uh, one thing that we should mention quickly because somehow I don't think we mentioned it earlier in the week, Steve, when you were here. But how about game day going to Augusta? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, who would who would have thought that? I saw Brent uh, Brent Axe tweet that out that he said I I certainly wasn't expecting game day to go to Augusta before it came to Syracuse. Um, but that is that is the case. <laughs> that is the case. Good point. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That should be, be a whole lot of fun. We do have to take a time out. We've got our good friend Steve Andrews from Radio.com Sports set to join us on the other side. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.